Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see all of you here. It's a little warm. I turned up the air to try to get it a little cooler. Yes, and so uh, hopefully that will work. Uh, but thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up with the heat. Speaking of heat, yesterday was hot, and I want to thank everyone who came out and worked diligently. Our head count was finally at about 100 people that came during our first Super Duper Saturday, and we're hoping to do that again very soon. And thank you for everyone who came out and volunteered and helped. We were able to uh, teach the gospel, feed some folks, and, and also provide a fun time for the kids and the neighborhood. So mission accomplished. I also want to recognize the Bypass Church of Christ youth group, I would like to ask them to stand along with Jerry and Patty, and I would like for us to show our appreciation to them for their hard work. Thank you, Bypass Church of Christ, for, for your hard work yesterday, for coming all the way from Oklahoma, and for helping out the Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ uh, uh, yesterday and through this week. They're going to be volunteering at Youth Encouragement tomorrow. They're going to be also volunteering out at the uh, Rehabilitation Center. Uh, so they've got a full week ahead of them. But we're very grateful for, for them and their heart to serve. What a wonderful thing. We also have a little announcement that it's someone's anniversary today. And I believe that it's Joe and Bessie's 60... Eight years of marriage. So that is a wonderful, wonderful thing, a wonderful example. And Joe always likes to say something in relation to this, and, and I'm, I don't want to get it right. It was the best money. How much did you spend on that marriage license? Two dollars. And a lot of times he says that's the best money ever spent, best two dollars he ever spent was getting married uh, to Bessie. And what a wonderful couple they are. And uh, just always here every Sunday. And uh, we're just delighted to celebrate with you. And so a lot of great things today to be grateful for. And uh, I also want to say uh, to all the dads, of course, my fellow patriots, happy Father's Day. And, and it's, uh, it's no easy task to be a dad. And, you know, and I don't understand why that, uh, you know, whoever came up with the dates on the calendars, why didn't they put Daddy's Day, Father's Day, back in, during football season? I think that that would have made a lot more sense. But we know that tomorrow the alarm clock will ring and work will be there and we'll have to take out the trash, but we appreciate all of our dads today. And, I, and that's what I want to talk about to you today, is about fathers and, and the importance of family. Family is primary, isn't it? Family is sacred, isn't it? Even before there was ever a country, there was a family. Did you know that? That God created the family before He ever created the United States of America or any other country for that. The family is primary, isn't it? There's something sacred 
about family and those roles of father and mother. And I think about it, I think about my own dad and what he gave to me. And I'm very grateful that my father is still alive. But there's certain things that he passed down to me as far as values and as far as priorities. One thing that my dad, just in general, these are little things, he, he taught me punctuality. Dad was always on time, and that, I don't know if it's a genetic thing, but I like to be on time. And sometimes that uh, annoys other people in my family. But that's a priority. That was something my dad just ingrained in me. We got to be on time. Get in the car. Come on. Don't be late. If you're on time, you're five minutes late. That's what, what the rule was. Another thing my dad taught me, he always pulled for the underdog. No matter who it was, no matter what it was, whether it was sports or whether it was socially, it was the underdog. Why not speak out? Why not help the person no one's helping? And it's the underdog mentality, helping. And another thing my dad taught me, the value, I haven't always been good at it, and you kind of have to say it, but the value of humility. And that humility is so important in every dimension in life. So I have some other things that I want to share with you that I found. These are things that fathers should pass on to their... This is advice from fathers to sons. And, but you can take some of these fathers to daughters. And really, this is just good advice. And I just wanted to share it with you, just a little bit of these. Number one, never shake a man's hand sitting down. If you're going to shake a man's hand, what do you got to do? You got to stand up and meet him in the eye. Because shaking hands is about a meeting of the minds. It's about respect. And if you're sitting down, you can't, you can't show the proper respect. That's one thing that a father should teach his son. Number two, don't enter the pool by the stairs. Right? You don't want to be kind of inching your way into the water. No, you want to jump into the pool. That's how men do it. These are not original to me, by the way. <laughs> Number three, the man at the barbecue grill is the closest thing to a king. I see some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. In negotiations, never make the first offer. You shoot yourself in the foot, don't you? Always request the late checkout, because you know we're going to need it at the hotel. When entrusted with a secret, keep it. That's hard to find these days. Hold your heroes to a higher standard. I don't think we do that anymore, do we? We make excuses for heroes, don't we? Return a borrowed car with a full tank of gas, young men. <laughs> I've definitely messed that one up a few times. Play with passion or not at all. When shaking hands, grip firmly and look them in the eye. Don't let a wishbone grow where your backbone should be. That's a good one. Carry two handkerchiefs. I'm going to need one today. The one in your back pocket's for you and the other's for the girl. If you marry the girl, you marry her family. Let me read that one again. You marry the girl, you marry her family. I got a good girl. And a good family. Be like a duck. 
Remain calm on the surface and paddle like crazy underneath. Keep your cool, right? Maybe hard today. Experience the serenity of traveling alone. Never be afraid to ask out the best-looking girl in the room. I like that one. Never turn down a breath mint. <laughs> if anyone's got one, give me one after church. Try writing your own eulogy. Never stop revising. That's a good one, isn't it? How do you want to be remembered? Live that way. Think a veteran, then make it up to him. Eat lunch with the new kid. After writing an angry email, read it carefully, then delete it. Manners makes the man. Give credit, take the blame. That's another one that's hard to do, isn't it? Stand up to bullies, protect those who are bullied. Write down your dreams. Always protect your siblings and your teammates. Be competent and humble at the same time. Call and visit your parents often. They miss you. Wonderful advice, isn't it? And to think about who our fathers and who daddies are to us. And for some of us, that may be difficult. For some reasons. It may be because we've lost our dad or our dad has gone on. Or maybe it's because some of us maybe associate negative thoughts with a father. And that might be the case that some of us unfortunately had Darth Vader as a father. Right? We didn't have that. And so when we talk about fatherhood, it, it brings up negative feelings to us, which is difficult, isn't it? But Jesus even recognizes that in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, when He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more is your heavenly Father in heaven? How much more is He than any of us dads here in this room? The importance of fatherhood. And the importance of it is, and they've done scientific research about fathers and what they found is significant, that fathers make a, an impact, a profound impact on kids. And when they're absent, when they're not there, or when they're not engaged, we find out that kids do end up in poverty. That kids do end up abusing drug and alcohol. That kids do have emotional and physical health issues when fathers aren't there, and that educational achievements aren't there when fathers aren't there. And crime is closely correlated with the absence of fathers and even early sexual activity. When fathers aren't there, it makes a difference. And when fathers are there and engaged, it makes a difference. And we lament that, don't we? We see it in our society so vividly that when, when the parents aren't there together and when the father's not there and they're not in the home, we see that effect, don't we? But not only do we see that, there's also something much sadder than that. And it's spiritual orphans. 
Yes, there are orphans in our society, aren't there? There are those who we call the fatherless. But in the same sense, just as there are those who are physically fatherless, there's something even sadder than that. There are those who are spiritually fatherless. They know everybody except for one person, their heavenly father. And it does profound damage to the individual when you don't know who your heavenly father is. We talk about poverty with, a, with, a, with homes. You have spiritual poverty. We talk about crime. There's spiritual crime. When we don't know our heavenly father, we lose sight of who we are. It says in Psalm 68, verse number 5, that God is the father to the fatherless and the protector of widows. That God is our father. And when we know him, we know ourselves. And so the question is that fundamental question really of who is God? Who is He? And different people look through at God through the prism of their experience and they, they have different answers for it. If you were to ask Pablo Picasso, the great artist, here's what he says who God is. God's just really another artist. He invented the giraffe, the elephant, the cat. He has no real style. He, he just keeps trying other things. That might be one idea of who God is. God's certainly an artist. God's certainly creative. But that's just one dimension to who God is, isn't it? It's not a full idea of who He is. Or if you were to ask Einstein, God does not play dice with the universe. When Einstein saw all of the magnificent numbers and how everything just added up so in the universe, he said God doesn't just play with the universe, with dice. It's not a matter of chance. It's a matter of someone intending something to happen here. Who is God? And we understand God in a number of ways. We understand God through our rationality. And we can know God through our rationality. And many great thinkers have told us things about who God is because they thought about it. When you look at the earth and when you look at the universe, you can't help but to see that there is a creative force behind it. As it says in Acts chapter 14, that God has not left Himself without witness. He has sent us rain. He has sent us the sun. And when you look at the natural order of the universe and in our earth and in in where we live, our habitation, you see that there is a God that must be behind it all. You take just, for instance, the human genome, DNA. There is a sentence within your person, 3.1 billion letters long, that makes up who you are specifically. And if that was altered in any way, you wouldn't be who you are. 3.1 billion letters inside of you. And if you were going to sit down and read the human genome that's within your body, it would take you... Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 31 years. That's from Francis Collins, the guy who figured it out. God's certainly a God of creation. He's certainly there. He's certainly creating things and sustaining us. And there is definitely intelligence that created us. 
But then we can also know Him through revelation from what He's revealed to us in Scripture. Yes, I can know things rationally and then I can look in God's Word and I can find out who He is. Because the Scriptures are the revelation of who He is. It is inspired of God, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It reveals who He is. And when we look into the Bible, it says very specific things. It is the proper study of theology that God is holy. That's something hard for me to wrap my mind around. That God is so good, and it's from His being, it's from His character that goodness flows from. That originates with God in His person. He is holy. It says that He inhabits eternity whose name is holy. And then at the same time, God is transcendent. He's beyond as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are His ways higher than ours. God transcends space and time. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. His understanding, it says in Psalms 147.5, is infinite. The Bible reveals these things about Him. That He's all-powerful. That He spoke and the world stood still, it says in Psalms 33.9. And all of those things are wonderful, aren't they? being rational, reading God's Word. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus reveals something deeper about who God is. And you know what He reveals? That not only can we know Him rationally, and not only can we know Him through the revelation of His Word, but most importantly, that we can know Him relationally. Do you get that? And you know what? You can know everything about God and everything about what the Bible says about God. You can know who He is, about how, how big He is and how smart He is and how wonderful He is. But if you don't know Him, you don't know who God is. Does that make sense? I can tell you everything about my dad. My dad's five foot ten. He's about 160 pounds. He has blue eyes. He graduated at David Lipscomb. He worked for the state of Tennessee for 35 years. That's a lot of stuff to know, but do you know Him? There's a difference between knowing about and then knowing someone, isn't there? And what Jesus tells us and what Jesus brings into focus for Christians is is that I I don't want you just to know about God. I want you to know God the Father. And in fact, the Old Testament refers to God as a Father. But when you turn to the New Testament, God is referred to as a Father over 245 times. In a short space, in a short space, the New Testament's much smaller than the Old Testament, but you have so many times where the emphasis is on God as a Father. So not only knowing about God, but knowing who God is through Jesus. Jesus says, no one has known the Father except for me, and that I come to reveal the Father to you, he says in Matthew chapter 11. Knowing who God is, so when we find out, we can know Him relationally. Number one, we find out that God is a provider. God is a provider. That's a good father, isn't it? 
And if you look at the Bible, you see over and over again that God is providing for His people. Going back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve, the first human beings on earth, they messed up. They sinned. They ate from the tree of knowledge. And what did they, they looked at themselves and what did they figure out? They were naked. And then they tried to clothe themselves and, and, and it wasn't adequate. And it says that God provided skins to clothe them. God provided clothes for the first people. And there's, you also find the first sacrifice, don't you? The first animal dies to clothe the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Fast forward to Noah. The world was wicked. Every imagination of man was evil, it says continually. Every thought of man was evil. They were killing each other. They were hurting each other. And God said, I've had enough. But it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it says that he moved with fear in the building of an ark to save his household. That's a good father, isn't it? But God provided a means of salvation for Noah. The ark. The plans. Remember the children of Israel. They were hungry in the wilderness. And God gave them what? Manna from heaven to feed them daily. Now we look at ourselves. And what has God provided for us? He's provided Christ. It says, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That we were naked, but with Christ, we put on Christ, His righteousness when we're baptized, when we obey Him in faith. Also, we find that God has provided the church as an ark. This is the ark of salvation. We find that God provides the bread of life in Jesus over and over again, God provides, doesn't He? He provides for us providentially. He closes the right doors and He opens the right doors. For all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and have been called according to His purpose. He also, daddies, disciplines. How do you know your daddy loves you? He disciplines you. Right? Discipline is important because it's better to make a mistake with your dad than to make a mistake with a policeman. It's better to make a mistake with dad than to make a mistake with a judge. It's better to make a mistake at home than to make a mistake in school. It's better to make a mistake at home than it is to make a mistake at work. And if you truly love your children, what are you going to do? You're going to correct them. You're going to discipline them because you're trying to spare them from pain down the road that hurts a lot worse. Does God do that for us? He chastens, it says, whom He loves. It's just sometimes we just don't catch wind of it quick enough, I don't think. Listen for God chastening you. Listen to that for that. And then lastly, God, like a good father, promises and delivers, doesn't He? He promises and He fulfills His promise to us as His Father. And I'm reminded 
of that verse in 1 John chapter 3 that says this, Behold what manner of love that God has shown to be called the children of God. What love is that? That you and I get to be called the children of God. That's love, isn't it? And God has showed His love to each of us time and time again, and He continues to do that today. He's showing His love to you. That He cares about you. That He wants you to be okay. That He wants you to be reconciled with Him. He desires your heart. He desires you. He yearns for you. That's who your heavenly Father is. So are you living in a way that honors your Father? Are you living in a way, or are you living as an orphan? If you're living as a spiritual orphan, then you're living in need. You're living in the absence of your Father. You're living in the absence of your own identity. And that's a life unfulfilled. And you don't know the love of the Father. The Bible says if we seek Him, He will draw near unto us. Will you prepare your heart to meet your Father that loves you so dearly? The Bible says that to begin that process, to begin that relationship with the Father, it has to happen through faith. That we have to understand who He is, that He is our Father, that He did create us, and that faith in His Son, and that we repent of those sins that hurt us, and that hurt our families, that hurt this community, And we confess Him to be the Son of the living God. We confess Christ to be the Son. And then we become fellow heirs, fellow brothers and sisters with Jesus. The promise that's for Jesus is the promise for you and I. Behold what manner of love it is to be grouped with Jesus, to be clothed with Jesus, to be at one with Jesus. What a wonderful blessing that is. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you forgot who your Father is, we want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. Or if you have a prayer of healing, whatever your desire or need is, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you will, if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.